On the night of May 21, 1927, more than 25,000 people waited at an airfield near Paris, France. Around 10 p.m., a white single-engine airplane landed and taxied to a stop in front of the crowd. The fuselage door opened, and pilot Charles Lindbergh emerged. He'd left the ground in New York over 30 hours before, making him the first person to fly nonstop across the Atlantic. The news spread fast. Telegrams zipped back across the ocean, letting Americans know Lindbergh had set the record. By the next morning, his name was in headlines around the world, even in rural, small-town papers. When an Idaho farmer named Glenn Hyde saw the news, he rushed to show his wife, Bessie. They were blown away by Lindbergh's feet. The legendary pilot had seemingly proved anyone could be a star if they took a risk, set a record, and lived to tell the tale. Even the Hydes could become celebrities. After Lindbergh's star-making flight, they planned a stunning record-setting adventure for their honeymoon, a high-speed river rafting trip. If all went according to plan, the journey would make Bessie the first woman to conquer the Grand Canyon by boat. Glenn would become a famous adventurer overnight. They knew they could make headlines together. The Hydes wanted the fame Lindbergh had achieved and were willing to do anything to get it even if it meant losing their lives. Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries, a Spotify original from ParCast. I'm your host, Molly. And I'm your host, Richard. This season on Unexplained Mysteries, we'll be investigating the most mysterious doomed expeditions in history. We'll look at why humans explore and why they fail. Today, we're examining the case of Glenn and Bessie Hyde, newlyweds who attempted to raft down the Colorado River in 1928. But before the Hydes could dominate the headlines, appear in movies, or write a best-selling memoir, they vanished. So we're asking, why is fame so appealing that people will risk death pursuing it? We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. 
Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Glenn Hyde came from an outdoorsy, adventurous household in the northwestern United States. After he was born in 1898, his father, Roland Hyde, moved the family to a homestead in southern Idaho. Glenn happily contributed to the family farm, but he always set his sights on bigger dreams. He was a skilled writer, but he had a difficult time sticking with any one pursuit, including education. After he dropped out of college in 1923, Glenn and his sister decided to raft down the Salmon River on a homemade boat. The two likely planned the trip as a last hurrah before they went their separate ways as adults. Glenn had big plans, and he knew he couldn't stay home forever. But as soon as he pushed onto the shallow, fast-moving waters of the Salmon River, Glenn was hooked. He was a natural boatman and a strong swimmer and loved being on the water. The trip went smoothly, and Glenn had a newfound passion. He got some public recognition for it, too. After he and his sister completed their journey, Glenn was interviewed in the local newspaper. He gave the reporter a riveting, detailed account of the river and the boat he built. The trip was thrilling, and seeing his name in print only compounded that excitement. By the summer of 1926, Glenn was certain exploration and fame were the keys to realizing his dreams. But he didn't realize his greatest adventure would happen with a partner. Bessie Haley didn't have such an adventurous childhood, but her ambitions were just as big as Glenn's. Raised on the East Coast, she was a gifted artist and finished three years of college, an unusual feat for women at the time. But she abandoned her degree just a few months before graduation to pursue a more bohemian lifestyle in California. She spent about a year in San Francisco, taking art classes and working at a bookstore, until she set her sights on Hollywood. In the 1920s, radio and motion picture technology had become mainstream seemingly overnight. For the first time, Americans everywhere could listen to the same newscasts at night and watch the same movies on the weekend. And the stars of these programs were becoming rich and famous. Since the entertainment industry was growing rapidly, new movie stars were being plucked out of obscurity. This explosion in communication technologies in the 1920s was a precursor to the rapid growth of social media in the 2010s. Both trends connected the world in new ways, and it seemed like they could rocket anyone to stardom. However, there's one big difference between these two booms. Mass media in the 20th century was revolutionary because everyone could see or hear it at the same time. But only a few people and companies could create it. Modern social media obliterated that system. It allowed everyone to produce their own content, and it seemed like it could make notoriety democratic. Fame came to whoever attracted the most viewers to their content, for better or worse. 
If Bessie Haley had lived in 2022, she might have set up a TikTok account and hoped for the best. But to become famous in the 1920s, she had to be chosen by someone with authority. And many of those powers that be were in Los Angeles. So in late February 1927, 21-year-old Bessie bought a one-way steamship ticket to the City of Angels. However, before she even reached the entertainment capital, her journey to stardom took a detour. At some point on the long trip down the coast, she bumped into another passenger with big dreams, Glenn Hyde. It's unclear why 28-year-old Glenn was on his way to Los Angeles. Maybe he also had Hollywood ambitions. Or maybe he was on a vacation. Either way, after he met Bessie, all of Glenn's plans went out the window. It was practically love at first sight. When the ship docked in L.A., Glenn Hyde and Bessie Haley stepped off together. After that, they were inseparable. Just over a year later, on April 12, 1928, Glenn and Bessie were married. They moved in with Glenn's family in Idaho, but it didn't take long for the monotony of farm life to leave them both restless. Meanwhile, the rest of the country was enthralled with stories of record-setting adventures. Just two months after their wedding, Amelia Earhart made international headlines as the first woman to repeat Lindbergh's flight. Glenn and Bessie were itching for a new adventure, and Earhart showed them a female globetrotter could become just as famous as a man, and that inspired the newlyweds. See, Glenn and Bessie hadn't been on their honeymoon yet. They wanted to do something exciting, something noteworthy, something that could change their lives for the better. Glenn knew they could always float down the Salmon River again, but he wanted to do a bigger river trip. In fact, he pitched Bessie on the biggest one he knew, the Colorado River. The waterway was still largely untraveled at the time. Glenn figured they could set a speed record by rafting it all the way down the Grand Canyon. But to really make headlines, they'd need to set another record. That's where Bessie came in. As far as Glenn knew, she'd be the first woman to make it through the Grand Canyon by boat. After Earhart's achievement, Bessie's trip would be like catnip for the press. Not only that, they could write a book together and maybe even turn their story into a motion picture. The Hyde spent the next few months poring over maps and reading the diaries of previous river runners. Finally, in October 1928, Glenn and Bessie took a train to Green River, Utah, a popular access point for the Colorado River. Their journey was about to begin. The moment they arrived, Glenn got to work building their boat. He used the same design as his previous trip, a rectangular high-sided raft called a sweep scow. At first glance, sweep scows don't look like boats at all. They're more like giant wooden matchboxes. Unlike other rowboats, the two heavy oars aren't on the sides, but bolted to the front and the back. As you can imagine, they're pretty hard to steer. But Glenn had successfully used one on the Salmon River, and he was sure he could do it again on the Colorado. The locals in Green River didn't agree. The water level was too low to use a boat like that, and the rapids were too violent. They assumed Glenn and Bessie wouldn't make it more than a few miles down the river. 
Some spectators asked Glenn if he'd like some life jackets, but he refused. He hadn't worn one on his previous journey, and that had turned out just fine. Besides, the oversized cork life belts would look awful in newspaper photographs. So, without the safety equipment, the hides pushed off into the river on October 20th, 1928. Bessie kept track of every rapid in a small notebook, which is the primary written record we have of their journey. According to her journal, the first few days were surprisingly easy. Glenn guided the scow through small riffles and lazy river bends, and Bessie learned to use the oars quickly. They camped out under the stars every night and triumphantly carved a notch into the boat every morning to keep track of the days. Everything was going perfectly until they hit the rapids. The long stretches of whitewater showed them how stubborn the scow could be. The hundred-pound oars did little to alter their course. At one point, one slammed into Bessie, nearly knocking her off the boat. Despite the obvious danger, they ultimately made it through with just a few scrapes. On November 15th, they reached Grand Canyon Village, a small camp town just outside of the canyon's national park. Glenn and Bessie decided to hike up to the canyon rim and rest a while. They were so far ahead of schedule, they could spend an entire day there and still be on track to set the record. The couple were almost giddy. If they'd lived in our modern era, this likely would have been when they posted a ridiculous multi-part Instagram carousel. But in 1928, all Glenn could do was write their name in the village's visitor book and take any opportunity to tell their tale. As luck would have it, a reporter from the Denver Post was there writing about the canyon. The writer loved the idea of a simple farm couple rafting down the Colorado in a homemade boat. He was especially interested in Bessie's story, just like the couple had anticipated. Once the column was published, others got hooked too. The Denver Post article was syndicated nationwide, appearing in papers all the way to Kansas City. At this point, Glenn and Bessie believed they were on track to become the next Lindberghs. But that fame would only come if they accomplished their risky goal. And if they failed, they'd likely die. Coming up, Glenn and Bessie float into oblivion. Hi, it's Richard, and I'm thrilled to share a special announcement with you. On July 12th, ParCast is releasing its first book. It's titled Cults, Inside the World's Most Notorious Groups and Understanding the People Who Joined Them. It's based on the very popular Cults podcast that my friends Greg and Vanessa host. And starting right now, you can pre-order it at ParCast.com cults. With the benefit of years of research and insights, this captivating book has put together a comprehensive narrative that tries to make sense of mysterious groups such as Nexium, Heaven's Gate, the Manson family, and more, exposing how shared beliefs can have deadly results and taking you deeper into the dark side of human nature than ever before. This book is a must-read for any true crime fan. There are limited copies available, so don't wait. Head to parcast.com slash cults now to pre-order cults inside the world's most notorious groups and understanding the people who joined them. That's parcast.com slash cults. And thanks again for supporting Parcast. 
This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now back to the story. In October 1928, Glenn and Bessie Hyde set off down the Colorado River in a homemade boat. They hoped their adventure would set records and make them famous. After resting in Grand Canyon Village for a day, Glenn and Bessie returned to their scow on November 16th. At their first stop, an under-construction tourist facility called Phantom Ranch, a wealthy tourist named Adolf Sutro approached them. He'd heard their story and asked to ride along for a few days before hiking back. The Hydes hesitated until they noticed the camera hanging around his neck. The couple didn't have a camera of their own. Sutro could catch them in action, and even in the 1920s, the Hydes knew photographs were vital to being famous. They brought him on board, and Sutro immediately snapped a few candid photos of the newlyweds. But according to him, all Glenn and Bessie wanted to talk about was their impending fame. They discussed the money they'd make once the trip was over, and how Bessie's gender was the key to their success. While the couple seemed enthusiastic about their journey, Sutro was terrified of the sweep scow. He asked to get off the boat early, at a point called Hermit Camp. The hides beached on the river edge and said their goodbyes to Sutro. Before he departed, he took another picture of the couple. None of them realized it would be the last one ever taken of them. The picture showed a grim-looking pair who'd been on the river for 375 miles, a little under halfway through their journey. After they posed for Sutro, Glenn and Bessie were anxious to get back on the river and keep to their schedule. Their next stop was a section called Hermit Rapid, one of the most vicious whitewater regions in the Grand Canyon. They pushed off from the rocks and waved goodbye from their boat. Sutro watched as they disappeared around a bend in the river. And then they were never seen again. However, it took over three weeks for anyone to notice the newlyweds' disappearance. After all, they weren't scheduled to reach the end of the canyon until December 9, 1928, which was when they told their parents to expect a telegram. When the ninth passed with no word from the couple, Glenn's father, Roland, became worried. The point of the journey was to set a speed record, so if they were late, something had gone wrong. Roland waited a few more days just in case, but on the morning of December 12th, he couldn't take it anymore. He boarded a train from Idaho to Las Vegas, then headed for the end of their route. As soon as he arrived, Roland did a quick survey of the lower Grand Canyon. He asked farmers who lived near the mouth if they'd seen the scow pass by, but they hadn't. Glenn and Bessie had parted from Sutro near Hermit Rapid, which was 95 miles downriver from the eastern edge of the Grand Canyon. Thus, it was often referred to as Mile 95. The farmers lived past Mile 280, so if Glenn and Bessie were still out there, they were between those two points, Mile 95 and Mile 280. 
Unfortunately, this stretch included some of the least accessible terrain in the canyon. Roland knew he couldn't traverse the area on foot or by himself, so he returned to Las Vegas and begged the federal government for help. On December 16, 1928, the Associated Press heard about the couple's disappearance and published a nationally syndicated story. This article was much more popular than any of their previous coverage. Glenn and Bessie briefly became household names, but not for the reasons they'd hoped. Instead, they were known as young adventurers who got lost. But the publicity did help with the search. No matter how foolish, courageous explorers were revered in the 1920s. Public pressure mounted to find the missing newlyweds, and eventually the U.S. Army agreed to inspect the river by air. Army planes flew out of Las Vegas on December 19th. They dipped into the Grand Canyon, flying low over the raging rapids. A few hours into the search, a pilot saw something floating in a calm pool near mile 237. It was the homemade scow. It seemed to be dry, upright, and in very good shape. Nothing seemed to be missing, except Glenn and Bessie. The pilots landed and alerted Roland Hyde of the boat's location. If the scow was there, the Hydes had to be close by. Perhaps they gave up on the river trip, tied up the boat, and hiked out of the canyon. At first, Roland was reassured. At least his son didn't vanish into thin air. But his relief quickly turned to panic. The weather was freezing, and it had been weeks since anyone had seen the couple. They could have been exposed to the elements for days. They might have succumbed to hypothermia, or they could have run out of food. Roland needed to see the boat for himself, but at his age, he knew he'd never make it that far downriver. Instead, Roland convinced a legendary Grand Canyon boatman named Emery Kolb to travel down and inspect the scow. Kolb lived at Grand Canyon Village, and he'd even met Glenn and Bessie during their stop there. However, even for an experienced guide like Emery, the journey to mile 237 was difficult. The weather was near freezing, and the river was wildly unpredictable. It seemed like Kolb's vessel wouldn't stand a chance, much less the Hyde's big boat. Despite the danger, Emery and his crew managed to reach it on Christmas Day. It was floating about 30 feet from the shore, with a rope that had caught on some underwater rocks trailing over the side. All of Glenn and Bessie's food was still on board, along with their coats and hiking boots. They couldn't have gotten far without those things. It was a bad sign the couple hadn't tried to walk out. On top of all the gear, Emery's crew found Bessie's journal. The last rapid she'd noted seemed to be mile 231, and the final entry was dated November 30th, 1928, more than three weeks earlier. All signs pointed to a tragedy sometime around November 30th, and Emery had a suspicion he knew what it was. Mile 232. The last whitewater section Bessie logged, Mile 231, was a fairly average rapid. But the next one, Mile 232, was exceptionally dangerous. With towering cliffs on either side and sharp boulders lurking on the right shore, it could chew up boats and spit them back out again. 
It would be especially difficult to clear in a heavy scow. Even Kolb's experienced crew had struggled at 2.32, and Glenn and Bessie had never been on the Colorado River before. Still, the boat was found at mile 237, five miles past 2.32. It had survived the rapids virtually unscathed. Glenn and Bessie should have too, and if they hadn't, their bodies should have turned up in the following weeks. But they never did. Roland stayed in Utah for another month. He hired several adventurers to look for Glenn and Bessie, but no trace of the couple emerged. He returned to Idaho in January 1929, penniless and heartbroken. Meanwhile, the press coverage about Glenn and Bessie peaked in the final days of 1928. Newspapers around the country ran the story of the missing newlyweds, bringing more attention than ever before to the couple. Most papers stated the Hydes were likely dead, and the San Francisco Chronicle framed their story as a cautionary tale. Meanwhile, an Idaho press described them as heroic. These conflicting narratives defined Glenn and Bessie's story for decades. Half of the country saw them as impulsive attention seekers. The other half believed they were brave but unlucky explorers. Regardless of which version readers accepted, the whole country was talking about them for a while. Glenn and Bessie briefly succeeded in finding the fame they sought, at least until the news cycle moved on. Less than a year after the Hydes vanished, the stock market collapsed in October 1929. The ensuing Great Depression made adventure look frivolous in the eyes of many Americans, especially if it ended in failure. Sadly, it's likely even if the Hydes had achieved their goal, they would have fallen out of the headlines after a few months. Fame is fleeting, and the media is always on the hunt for something more shocking to put in the spotlight. This is even more true today with 24-hour cable news, instant messaging, and global social networks. However, in our modern age of social media, fame is a much more flexible phenomenon. There are many tools to build and interact with an audience long-term. And notoriety has its consequences. In 2009, a team from the University of Winchester interviewed more than a dozen American celebrities about how it really felt to be famous. Their subjects acknowledged plenty of upsides, like wealth, public validation, and access to exclusive events. But they also described a deep sense of paranoia and a constant battle between their public and private lives. Many admitted they felt deeply lonely and had ruined their closest relationships. Still, every single one of these celebrities said fame was worth it. All the stress, mistrust, and isolation were outweighed by the feeling of being adored. And you don't have to be an influencer or celebrity to understand that feeling. When you post something, there's often an immediate rush of feedback in the form of clicks, likes, and comments. It's a feeling that you matter. That's what keeps many people coming back to social media, hoping to gather more followers. That feeling was also likely what brought Glenn and Bessie back into the spotlight over 40 years after they vanished. 
Tourism around the Grand Canyon boomed in the 1950s, and guided whitewater expeditions became popular. By the early 1970s, more than 15,000 people were floating down the Colorado River every year. Their days often ended with a crackling fire and a few legendary Grand Canyon stories, including that of Glenn and Bessie's disappearance. One night in 1971, a river guide told the story to a group of exhausted rafters. He finished it up with a practiced, melodramatic ending. They were never seen again. Then he asked what the tourists thought happened to Glenn and Bessie. One of them, an old woman, looked up at the guide. She said she knew exactly what happened because she was Bessie Hyde. Coming up, investigators dig into a new shocking theory. Now back to the story. After Glenn and Bessie Hyde disappeared on the Colorado River in 1928, their story dropped out of the public eye for decades. Then, in 1971, an old woman on a tourist trip through the Grand Canyon claimed she was Bessie Hyde. There was a chance the old woman was telling the truth. After all, the Hyde's bodies had never been found. There was always a possibility one or both of them hiked out of the canyon and started new lives. But more than four decades had passed. If this woman really was Bessie, it was natural to wonder why she'd kept quiet all these years. The night the woman made her claim, the river guide asked her that very question. She said she hadn't ever spoken up because before she escaped the canyon, she'd killed Glenn. She claimed she and Glenn got into fights during their honeymoon trip. One night, an argument escalated and Glenn hit her multiple times. That's when she snapped and killed him. Then she hiked out of the canyon, boarded a Greyhound bus, and started a new life. The group was stunned. Up until this point, no one had ever described the Hyde's relationship as abusive. They asked for more details, but the mysterious woman refused to answer any more questions. Rumors spread quickly among Grand Canyon River guides, and soon enough, everyone had heard about the confession. Some believed Bessie had returned to the site of her crime, while others were skeptical there even was a crime. The old woman might have been making it all up, trying to attach herself to Glenn and Bessie's fame. As we mentioned with social media, feeling like you matter is a strong motivator for sharing a personal story, even if it isn't really true. It certainly wasn't the first or last time a person inserted themselves into noteworthy events. After the September 11th attacks at the World Trade Center, dozens of people falsely claimed they were either inside the Twin Towers or knew someone who died there. In fact, a psychiatrist in New York encountered so many of these lies, she coined a term for it, the 9-11 sign. According to her, some of the people making those claims just wanted sympathy. Others had more nefarious goals, like taking money from victims' funds. However, in Glenn and Bessie's case, it's unlikely the woman faked the story for some kind of financial gain. There was no money to be had in rewriting an old river legend. But for at least a few days, she could get some attention. Many believed this was enough motivation for her to lie. 
Still, the story was too dramatic to resist. The narrative that Bessie had killed Glenn spread like wildfire, even if it was told with an air of skepticism. There was enough doubt nobody bothered to investigate the woman's identity or the possible murder. At least, not until five years later, when a body turned up. In 1976, famous boatman Emery Kolb died. He was the one who'd found the abandoned scow and one of the last people to see Glenn and Bessie alive in 1928. After his death, his grandson found a human skeleton stashed in a canoe at Emery's house. The bones had a belt around them and looked like they'd been sitting there for decades. Emery's grandson gave the bones to the county sheriff. He finally started an investigation into the skeleton in 1980 and blew the Hyde's case wide open. The skeleton was male, six feet tall, and there was a bullet in the skull. It came from a rare type of revolver manufactured in 1903, so the man must have been killed after that. The investigators guessed it was sometime in the 1910s or 1920s. According to the sheriff, only one missing person in the region fit the corpse's description. Glenn Hyde. The skeleton only added fuel to the old woman's story. If Bessie did kill Glenn, Maybe Emery Kolb helped her hide the body. Or perhaps he shot Glenn to protect Bessie from harm. There was only one person who could confirm these theories once and for all. The old woman herself. A few years later, in the mid-1980s, a historian tracked her down. She was living in Ohio under the name Liz Cutler. But she said she'd never even heard of Glenn and Bessie Hyde. Not only that, the historian found Cutler's life before 1928 was well-documented. Liz and Bessie were clearly two different people. Bessie couldn't have possibly started a new life as Liz Cutler. The skeleton raised questions for investigators as well. They re-examined the bones and paid special attention to the belt. The buckle was silver, similar to the one Glenn was wearing in Sutro's final photograph. But while Glenn's was made of smooth metal, the skeletons had a rough hammered texture. The bones also seemed to be from a younger man, someone around 19 or 20 years old. When Glenn disappeared, he was 28. Eventually, the evidence was impossible to ignore. In November 1985, the sheriff's department officially concluded the remains were not Glenn Hyde's. It seemed Glenn and Bessie's story was back to square one. But even though the murder theories had major factual errors, they were still passed around. Soon, they were joined by even stranger stories. Around 1992, another possible Bessie appeared. After a Colorado River guide named Georgie Clark passed away, her friends cleaned out her home and found a marriage certificate for Glenn Hyde and Bessie Haley. They also found a pistol. They wondered if Georgie Clark might have been Bessie and a murderer. But as compelling as both of these possibilities were, they ultimately seemed like coincidences. Georgie Clark lived a full and well-documented life before 1928, and she could have bought a copy of the marriage license at the courthouse where the Hydes got married. 
It was an odd souvenir for sure, but it didn't really mean anything. At first glance, Georgie's stories seemed like a repeat of the Liz Cutler saga, an incident where a woman tries to capture the limelight by pretending to be the missing adventurer. But there was one key difference. Liz Cutler inserted herself into the saga of Glenn and Bessie. Georgie was thrust into it by her friends. Whether they knew it or not, these people were likely trying to gain something by speculating about their lost loved ones. They may have taken some comfort in thinking these people were historically significant, or they just wanted a bit of attention. Either way, the false Glens and Bessies were dead ends. It seemed unlikely the actual couple had hiked out of the canyon and started new lives. But the idea of them dying on the river didn't seem to add up either. The boat was unscathed, and no bodies or clues ever turned up. So, in 1996, two Colorado River guides decided to find some answers on their own by recreating the Hyde's trip. They even built a sweep scow and quickly learned just how hard it was to maneuver. As experienced boaters with modern gear, the couple implemented safety measures Glenn and Bessie hadn't. For one, they wore life jackets. They also added a few inflatable tubes to help the scow float. And they had a friend following close behind in a speedboat. Even with all of these adjustments, they still fell out of the vessel multiple times in the river rapids. Usually, they were flung out by the heavy sweeps, just like Bessie experienced. It was a scary ride, and they didn't even make it past mile 200. After the couple finished their journey, they were amazed Glenn and Bessie got as far as they did. But they also thought that all the legends that had sprung up around the hides were wrong. They didn't believe there was any crime of passion or epic survival story. Instead, it seemed Glenn and Bessie's deaths were caused by something much less exciting. They made a mistake, most likely at mile 232. The hides could have slammed into the sharp boulders, gone overboard, and drowned. Or they could have lost the boat in the rapids, tried to hike out without their gear, and died of exposure. There were dozens of possibilities, but none of them solved the mystery. If they died in the canyon, where were the bodies? The investigators landed on a simple answer. It was an old guide motto along the Colorado. The river never gives up its dead. It's most likely Glenn and Bessie Hyde didn't know they were headed for a death trap at mile 232. It wasn't even listed in the guidebooks they studied. But they did make some major miscalculations. They failed to listen to the locals who knew the river. They refused to wear life jackets. And most of all, they kept going even when conditions seemed to be getting worse. All for a little bit of attention. That was what ultimately led to their demise. As much as we'd like to think this was a once-in-a-century occurrence, people die for similar reasons all the time. In just the last decade or so, about 350 people died while taking photos of themselves. Many of them fell from tall rock formations or buildings. Others posed in front of dangerous animals only to be attacked before the shutter could click. 
These victims of so-called selfie deaths might be the Glenn and Bessie Hydes of our era. They were making a bid for likes and clicks, which is what all of us do on social media every single day. It's the modern equivalent of the radio broadcasts and newspaper articles the Hydes hope to appear in. And just like the Hydes, these people made a tragic mistake. They didn't account for the risks inherent in the photo op. Or they saw the possible reward, a rush of Instagram notifications or a viral TikTok, and decided it outweighed the danger. In many cases, they received the attention they were seeking, albeit posthumously. Likewise, the Hyde's River journey made them more famous than they ever intended, even if it also cost them their lives. Thanks again for tuning in to Unexplained Mysteries. Every Tuesday and Thursday, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. You can find episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. See you next time. And remember, never take we don't know for an answer. Instead, go out and explore. Unexplained Mysteries is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Dick Schroeder, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Bruce Katovich. This episode of Unexplained Mysteries was written by Kylie Harrington, with editing by Andrew Messer and Angela Jorgensen. Fact-checking by Haley Milliken, and research by Chelsea Wood. Unexplained Mysteries stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rossner. Hi, it's Richard, and I'm thrilled to share a special announcement with you. On July 12th, Parcast is releasing its first book. It's titled Cults, Inside the World's Most Notorious Groups and Understanding the People Who Joined Them. It's based on the very popular Cults podcast that my friends Greg and Vanessa host. And starting right now, you can pre-order it at parcast.com slash cults. With the benefit of years of research and insights, this captivating book has put together a comprehensive narrative that tries to make sense of mysterious groups such as Nexium, Heaven's Gate, the Manson family, and more, exposing how shared beliefs can have deadly results and taking you deeper into the dark side of human nature than ever before. This book is a must-read for any true crime fan. There are limited copies available, so don't wait. Head to parcast.com slash cults now to pre-order cults inside the world's most notorious groups and understanding the people who joined them. That's parcast.com slash cults. And thanks again for supporting Parcast. <laughs>